You are listening to The Pregnancy Podcast with Vanessa Merton. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Pregnancy Podcast. For anyone who took the time to fill out the survey, thank you so much. It was so fun learning more about everyone, and I really, really enjoyed all of the comments and show suggestions. Please know that if you did leave comments, I definitely read them all, and I will be going back and combing through those to find out more about what content you are really interested in and do my best to deliver that to you. Thank you again to everyone who completed the survey. You guys are awesome. The winner of the Amazon gift card will be emailed today. So if you want to see if you won, check your email. Last week, we talked about maternity clothes, how you can raid your closet, and a ton of tips on expanding your wardrobe to fit your growing belly. If you missed it, you can go back and check out episode 25. This week, we are getting back to some more technical stuff and talking about delayed cord clamping. This came about from a question from a listener who emailed me about cord blood banking. And to really fully answer her questions, we needed to backtrack a bit and talk about delayed cord clamping. I promise we will finish the answer to her question in next week's episode. So back to today, we are going to get into how the placenta and umbilical cord work both during your pregnancy and after birth and talk about if there are benefits to delayed cord clamping, what your options are, and how to approach this topic with your doctor or midwife. This does not just apply to a vaginal birth for a full-term baby. Delayed cord clamping is still important if you have a baby prematurely or even if you have a C-section. Before we get into the umbilical cord, we should make sure that we know how the placenta works. When an egg is fertilized and the egg implants into your uterine wall, the placenta starts forming. The placenta is an organ with a highly specialized purpose, and that is to support the normal growth and development of your baby. Oxygen and nutrients are transferred from mom to baby. Carbon dioxide and other waste products are transferred from the baby through the placenta into mom's blood supply. Beginning around week 20 of your pregnancy, antibodies pass through the placenta to help protect your baby in utero. The antibodies being passed to your little one will help protect them during the first few months of their life once they are born and they are the building blocks of their immune system. You already know that hormones pretty much rule everything during your pregnancy. Your placenta plays a big role in secreting hormones that are really crucial for your baby. This includes HCG, commonly known as the pregnancy hormone. This controls a ton and is also the indicator that turns your pregnancy test positive. The placenta also secretes estrogen and progesterone and a few other hormones that are essential for your baby's development and everything going on in your body during pregnancy. Lastly, your placenta acts as a reservoir of blood for your little one. So you can see that the placenta is a pretty amazing organ. Your baby would not be able to survive without it. The placenta is attached on one side to your uterus and is connected to the baby by the umbilical cord. The umbilical cord is your baby's lifeline. At birth, this is going to be about 20 inches or somewhere between 50 to 70 centimeters long. And it's about three quarters of an inch or two centimeters in diameter. This cord contains the umbilical vein and two umbilical arteries. The umbilical vein carries nutrient-rich, 
oxygenated blood from the placenta to your baby, and the umbilical arteries carry deoxygenated, nutrient-depleted blood from the fetus to the placenta. Now that you have a basic understanding of how the placenta and the umbilical cord work, let's talk about how they play a part in your birth. When your baby is born, they will, of course, still be connected via the umbilical cord. If the cord is not clamped immediately at birth, blood will continue to flow between the placenta and the baby for a few minutes. The net blood volume transferred to the baby during this time is called a placental transfusion. This placental transfusion can give your baby about a fifth of its blood volume at birth and this can make a difference in the health of your baby. Placental transfusion drains the blood left in the placenta, which can also help the placenta separate from the womb and may reduce overall blood loss at birth for mom. At some point after your baby is born, a clamp is put on the umbilical cord and the cord is cut. So once the cord is clamped, no blood is going to be flowing between the placenta and your baby. So the timing between clamping it and cutting it is insignificant and you Usually cutting is done pretty immediately after they clamp it. The umbilical cord has no nerve ending, so it's painless and neither you nor your little one will feel anything when they do cut it. The big question is when to clamp the cord. Do you clamp and cut it immediately? Do you wait three minutes? Do you wait until the cord stops pulsating, which is closer to 10 minutes? Well, we're going to talk all about your options here so you can decide what is best for you. Just so I am covering all of your options, there is something called a lotus birth, and this is where the cord is not cut at all. This means that your baby remains attached to the placenta until the cord naturally separates, and this usually happens somewhere between 3 and 10 days after birth. During this time, the placenta is stored in some type of bag or container and must be carried around with the baby. The term lotus birth was coined in 1974 after Claire Lotus Day observed that chimpanzees do not sever their umbilical cord of their babies. This is not the most common practice, as I'm sure you can guess, but some mothers do do it. Without getting into too much detail, you would definitely want to make sure that you're not exposing your little one to a risk of infection if you choose to do this. And if you are considering a lotus birth, definitely look into all of the pros and cons. My job is just to give you all the information, so I thought that I should include that you do have the option of not cutting the cord at all. If you are not having a lotus birth, then your care provider will be clamping and cutting the cord at some point, so the question is when to do it. Remember earlier when we said that the placenta has a reservoir of blood? After birth, it is still being transferred to your baby from this supply. Your baby's blood volume is increased by about 20% from a transfer that takes place after they are born. This additional supply of blood supplies extra iron, which can help guard against anemia in the first year of life, and it is also enriched with immunoglobulins and stem cells. According to the World Health Organization, they recommend late cord clamping, which is performed approximately one to three minutes after birth. The World Health Organization does not recommend early umbilical cord clamping, which would be less than a minute after birth unless there is some type of emergency where your baby needs to be moved immediately. 
I will, of course, link to the World Health Organization website if you want to read their full opinion on it. The American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists notes a study that in full-term infants, so babies not born prematurely, that by one minute after birth, a transfer of approximately 80 milliliters of blood takes place from the placenta to your baby, and by three minutes, it's a total of 100 milliliters. They note that other studies have suggested that clamping the umbilical cord in all births should be delayed for at least 30 to 60 seconds. The reasoning being benefits including increased blood volume, reduced need for blood transfusion, a decreased incidence of intracranial hemorrhage in preterm infants, which is bleeding in their skull, and a decreased frequency of iron deficiency or anemia in term infants. In addition, a longer duration of that placental transfusion after birth, so the longer you wait to clamp the cord, can be beneficial because this blood is enriched with immunoglobulins and stem cells, which provide the potential for improved organ repair and rebuilding after injury from disorders caused by preterm birth. If you want to read more from the American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, I will, of course, link to that full article in the show notes. Clearly, there is a lot of evidence to support delayed clamping. So how did the practice of clamping the cord immediately after birth ever start in the first place? This became pretty standard practice in the 1960s because it was thought to reduce the likelihood of postpartum maternal hemorrhage. The key word here is thought. Although more research really needs to be done to know the effects of delayed cord clamping on the outcomes for mom, immediate clamping does not reduce hemorrhaging. There was a review I will, of course, link to in the show notes of 15 randomized trials involving nearly 4,000 women and babies who showed no significant difference in postpartum hemorrhage rates when early and late cord clamping, so generally between one and three minutes, were compared. There were, however, some pretty potentially important advantages of delaying the cord clamping in healthy term infants. This included higher birth weight, early hemoglobin concentration, and increased iron reserves up to six months after birth. I will put a link to this review in the show notes, of course, if you want to read more on this. The main instance where immediate clamping would be necessary is in an emergency where you or the baby were in danger. And at that point, of course, cut the cord, get the medical attention you or your baby need. As long as you and your baby are doing well after birth, your care provider could delay clamping the cord. Delayed cord clamping is not just for moms who are having vaginal births with full-term babies. This practice can still be applied if you are having a C-section or if your baby is premature. What if you're having a cesarean? Well, there's still a transfer of blood that takes place after a cesarean birth, and delayed cord clamping can still be beneficial. Another approach your care provider can employ if you're having a C-section is to milk the umbilical cord. This is exactly what it sounds like. The cord is squeezed from the placenta towards the baby to help transfer blood between the two. In a C-section where time and speed are a concern, milking the cord may allow more of a transfer of blood in a shorter period of time. Delayed clamping can be even more critical in a premature baby. 
in another review with about 740 babies born prematurely between 24 and 36 weeks. And this included both by C-section and vaginal birth. And this study compared babies where the cord was clamped within a few seconds after birth with babies whose cords were clamped after a delay of at least 30 seconds. The maximum delay in this study was three minutes. Providing babies with additional blood through delayed cord clamping or milking the cord before clamping it helped the babies adjust to their new surroundings better. Fewer babies needed transfusions for anemia, the risk of bleeding in the brain, and a risk of a severe infection in the bowel were greatly reduced. Further studies are needed in comparing the two methods of delivering placental blood to babies either milking the cord or just allowing it to transfer blood on its own. But either way, there is definitely evidence that delayed cord clamping is really beneficial for preterm babies. If you want to read this full review and see the details on this study, I will put a link to it in the show notes. One perspective I like to look at things from is to take a look at how our ancestors might have done things. This might sound a little strange, but hear me out on this. The evolution of the uterus, the placenta, and birth has happened over an unbelievably long span of time. The more a process is evolved, the better it becomes, at least in theory, right? Nature is extremely intuitive, so looking at the issue of clamping an umbilical cord, you could look at it through a lens of what was the natural instinct of our earlier humans. I can't imagine that thousands of years ago, the first thing a mom did after giving birth was to clamp and cut the cord. The first thing they did was probably just put that little baby on their chest. Imagining what some of our ancestors would have done may lead me to question clamping and cutting the cord immediately. If a cord was immediately useless upon birth, wouldn't it just be designed to fall off as soon as the baby was born? Anyway, I don't want to get too weird here, but just an idea. Keep an open mind and try to think about things from a different perspective. There is clear evidence that delayed cord clamping can be beneficial to both you and your baby. If this is something that you want to do, the first thing is to ask your doctor or midwife what their practice or policy is. If they have a policy of clamping at one minute, but you want to wait three minutes, you need to make sure that your wishes are known. Perhaps you are comfortable with your care provider clamping it at one minute, or some women prefer to wait until the cord stops pulsating on its own, and this is usually closer to 10 minutes. Only you can decide what's best for you. Delayed cord clamping is an example of a great thing to include in your birth plan, but putting it on a piece of paper is not enough. Make sure that your partner, your doula, or anyone else who is going to be an advocate for you during your birth knows that this is important to you. Most importantly, talk to your doctor or midwife about it before you go into labor. If you are going to include something about delayed cord clamping in your birth plan and you're stuck on how to word it, go to pregnancypodcast.com forward slash birth plan and you can get a copy of my birth plan just so you can get an example of how one could be structured or worded. Of course, my wishes may differ a lot from yours, but it could at least be a good place for you to start if you're stuck with how to write your birth plan. To recap everything we talked about today, we went into how your placenta functions, how the umbilical cord is your baby's lifeline, and got into a lot of details on clamping and cutting your baby's umbilical cord, including what research is available on the best time to do it. 
I want to thank you so much for tuning into the pregnancy podcast today. I hope that you find this episode helpful. Next week, we are talking about cord blood banking. If you haven't guessed, delayed cord clamping can play a part in this. It can definitely be confusing trying to decide if cord blood banking is worth the cost and whether it's compatible with delayed cord clamping. We'll be going through what it is and everything you need to know to decide if it's the right thing for you and your baby. So tune in next week for that. As always, you can contact me, Vanessa, at PregnancyPodcast.com. You can find notes and resources for this episode at PregnancyPodcast.com forward slash episode 26. Be sure to check out the 40 Weeks podcast to find out how your baby is developing this week, what's going on with your body, plus get a tip for dad. And you get all of this in under five minutes. You can find 40 Weeks everywhere you listen to the Pregnancy Podcast or go to pregnancypodcast.com forward slash week. <laughs>